You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. We always appreciate you joining us each and every week. Great to be back with you guys once again. And we know our, last week was our first week back after a little hiatus, but got a lot of positive responses from everybody that we are back, and we certainly appreciate all you guys listening every single week. A couple of notes before we get started this week with the episode. One, make sure you check us out on all those social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow us there. Keep up with everything the show is doing. Also, leave us a rating on iTunes and let us know what you think of the show. It doesn't have to be a long rating. Just anything helps us get the word out about the show. The more ratings we get, the more popular the show grows and the better guests we can get and keep things going here on the Hazard Ground. I want to tell you guys about a new partnership we have with the Hazard Ground that I am very excited to tell you about. It's the Share Military Initiative at the Shepherd Center. They are based in Atlanta, but they are one of the best organizations in the world for veterans. Now, the SHARE program is designed specifically for post-9-11 veterans experiencing difficulties from brain injuries, concussions, emotional or psychological issues, including PTSD. This program is special, and it's helped veterans from all over the country and has one goal for each and every person who comes through their doors, create a plan to help them improve their life. It starts with a two-week assessment. You come right here to Atlanta and stay here, a two-week assessment, and an eight- to 12-week treatment program and 12 to 24 months of community transition follow-up. program includes complimentary housing with on-site life skills support. Everything is here for you. You don't need to go anywhere. Once they welcome you in with open arms, you'll want to stay. They are different because they're built to help. No red tape. And to not only make sure you receive support, that you improve permanently. I've been to their facilities. I've seen them personally. These are some of the best people in the country at helping veterans rebuild their lives. Again, the Share Military Initiative at the Shepherd Center. This week's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron delivers all the fresh ingredients and recipes you need in exactly the right proportions to make simple, seasonal home-cooked meals. New recipes are created each week by Blue Apron's culinary team, so you can learn to cook with new ingredients, cuisines, and cooking techniques. Meals are just 500 to 800 calories and start at just $8.74 a serving, and shipping is always, always free. I'm telling you, we've used Blue Apron many times here at the Hazard Ground. Their food is delicious, and every sponsor on the Hazard Ground is a product that we've used personally, and we stand behind 100%. Otherwise, we wouldn't waste time talking about it before the episode. Now, for a limited time, new customers are going to get $30 off their first order. That's right, $30 off your first order at BlueApron.com. So go over to our website, HazardGround.com slash sponsors. Click on the Blue Apron banner. Remember, support for our sponsors goes right back into making Hazard Ground the best show it could possibly be. Once again, that's www.hazardground.com slash sponsors. Click on the Blue Apron banner and get the discount and discover a better way to cook. Now on to this week's episode. This week's guest is a former Marine Corps captain, and he currently works for the Wall Street Journal at the Washington Bureau covering national security and veterans issues. He is Ben Kessling here on the Hazard Ground podcast. Ben, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's interesting that you have the same field that I do, that is being in the media and and working in that. I don't really run into many veterans who also do what I do from a media standpoint. So I'm kind of excited to talk to you about how you transition from the military into this career. But let's start back at the beginning, as we always do. Tell us how you got your start in the Marine Corps. Well, I was, uh, I've actually went to OCS, uh, went to officer candidate school after graduate school. So I started out a little bit later than, than most people, uh, going into going to the Marine Corps. I, uh, I went to, uh, went to divinity school actually for, uh, for a three year graduate degree. 
And uh, while I was at while I was at Divinity School, the uh, I was in college when 9/11 happened, and then in I was in graduate school when when Iraq when Iraq happened, the invasion of Iraq, and uh, uh, about halfway through my time there in um, in grad school, and I started realizing that I I at the time supported what was going on in what was going on in Iraq. I, I you know. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if uh, if if I would support it the same way now. But at the time, I I, I certainly did, and uh, I thought if I if I support this conflict, then I need to I need to do something about it. So I went down to the uh, to the Marine Corps officer recruiter and uh, and signed up. And then as soon as I finished with graduate school, uh, I went into OCS and uh, went through OCS and became an infantry officer um, and. Then was in for was in for about uh, for a little over six years. So I want to back up for a minute, uh, just as far as the the sure. initial enlistment sign up. Because you had a college degree, did they approach you about being an officer, or did you do your research and say, "Hey, I want to be an officer" when you went to sign up? Well, I I think I had the same the same experience that most people do when they when they go to the when they go to see a recruiter. Uh, you knew nothing. They, you, you, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, yeah, you know very little, right? And uh, and I, I'd already had my college degree the first time I went in to see the recruiter. And you know, when you go to a recruiter, you you know, like oftentimes you don't know to go see the to go see the officer selection officer. You go to the enlisted recruiter, and they you know they they, they always push the push the line to, to go in as an enlisted man. And then if you, uh, you know, if you want to, you can go the officer route after that. And, uh, I started doing my research after that and realized that maybe I want to just go the ghost, the straight officer route. Um, that, but, uh, I thought, I thought about it briefly for, uh, going, going the enlisted route. They, they never, uh, the Marine Corps and, and the other branches that I was, you know, looking at never really approached me to, to do to do the officer out, uh, I think a lot of times the whatever recruiting office you go into, they uh, they want to they want to push whatever they want to push whatever they uh, whatever they're selling. So if, if you go into the enlisted recruiting office, they're not going to send you down the down the hall to the officer recruiters, uh, and vice versa. But uh, yeah, I, I had to, I had to do some some research, talk to talk to some friends who had served, and, and realized that uh, I. I preferred going the officer route, even though I did think about the enlisted route. All right, now let's go back even further. You said you were in college during 9-11. You know, a lot of people signed up right after 9-11. You seem to have waited and kind of made some more life choices and career choices. So do you remember what happened the day of 9-11, and were you feeling any of these calls to service at that point in time? To tell you the truth, I, I did not... I did not feel a call to, to to go into the uniform service at the time. I remember in college when when nine eleven happened. Uh, I remember I was I was I was in my room and uh, and somebody said what was happening and I, I thought uh, you know I thought it was almost too uh, you know almost too far fetched to, to to be happening. So I didn't even pay attention to the news for a few hours and then uh, when when I you know realized what was going on and, and, and everything that was happening and started thinking about the, you know, the, the ramifications of my life. At no point did I, did I think, uh, you know, wow, I need to, I need to go in and serve now. Uh, at that time I was, I think a lot of college, a lot of college kids are focused on, focused on college and finishing that and trying to make 
trying to make that next life decision. And it really wasn't until, um, and I was kind of already thinking about graduate school and had already sort of started moving down that path. So it wasn't until getting to graduate school that I said, well, this, this conflict is still going on. And, uh, I, I, I really felt a, felt a call to serve at that time. And that call wasn't something that I could ignore. It was like, um, there, there really was no other, there was no other path for me at that time, as far as what I wanted to do with my life. I, I knew that I wanted to serve. I knew I wanted to put on the uniform. Uh, when I went into the recruiter, you know, like, like, you know, like we talked about, it's, I didn't, I didn't know that much about, uh, about the military life. My, uh, my parents didn't serve <clears throat> my, my, uh, my grandfather did, but that I never really had a conversation with him about, uh, about his time in the service. Uh, so I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know what the pay scale was when I signed on the line. I just signed up. So I was, uh, I didn't even know what the, what the paycheck was going to be when it came my way. Uh, but that tug, that that uh, inexorable tug to put on the uniform didn't didn't happen until grad school. It certainly wasn't there in college. All right. So when did you finish grad school, and when does your enlistment and, and officer training finish? So I finished. Uh, I, I graduated, uh, got my master's divinity degree in two thousand five, and then <clears throat> waited. I think I only waited a, a few weeks before going to to OCS. I really. Uh, had a, it was very fortunate with the, the streamlined process from finishing school, getting, you know, getting approved, getting checked out with all the medical stuff and all the tests and going straight in. And, uh, I, I you know, went straight through OCS and then through the pipeline for, um, for the basic school, uh, in the Marine Corps, then infantry officer course, and then picked up with, uh, with the battalion. And I think the battalion, uh, picked up with them at the end of 2006. I think that's when uh, when I got over to Second Battalion, Six Marine. Okay, and you don't get to Iraq until 2007, correct? That's correct. Okay, so, so go, ahead, uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was, we just you know went through the went through the normal workup. I mean, uh, I think that everybody who's everybody who's been in uh, the military and the Marines are. Uh, the Marines are, are sort of notorious for this is every step of the process, you, uh, figure, okay, I'm finally, I finally made it. I can, you know, I can be considered a Marine, but then it's like, well, you know, you have this other thing you need to do. So, you know, you go to OCS, you become an officer, but that's, that's, you know, you're not there yet. You got to go to the, the basic school. Then you finish that and you think you're there and you got to go to infantry officer course or whatever your, you know, your particular specialty is and then you pick up with your unit and all these things happen and you never you're never quite there until you actually get to that first deployment so it wasn't until 2007 and going to uh going to iraq during the um during the the surge or the awakening or uh you know whatever name you want to use that's that's sort of when you you're finally you're finally there you know when you found out you got to unit and you were going right to Iraq. Did you feel like, okay, this is what I signed up for. I'm glad this is happening so quickly because, you know, you know, the, I've run into so many people on this podcast who signed up to go and they're like, they have to wait for one reason or other, whether it's a schooling or whether it's, you know, the unit just got back and then they have to wait another six months or whatever. You were going fairly quick. Were you excited about that prospect? Um, I, I mean, I guess excited. I guess excited is the right word, right? Like the first time, the first time anybody 
goes in goes into this sort of thing there's there is an excitement to it right or like at least knowing that you're you're finally doing the thing that you signed up for and yes i mean i was um i i didn't even i didn't even take time to to sort of sit back and contemplate what was happening it was like this is the you know this is the end result of signing on the dotted line you know what a year a year and a half or two years prior however long it takes to go through the whole training pipeline um it the training pipeline always does seem like it takes forever though i mean like you said you can't just you can't just show up at uh at the processing center maps and, uh, and, you know, get your head shaved and then the next day you're, you're deployed. It takes a while to get, to get going. So by the time that finally happens, um, even when it's, uh, even when the process has no hiccups and is as streamlined as possible, which is what, which is what I experienced, um, by the time it happens, you think, okay, finally, this is, you know, this is the, the, this is finally coming to fruition, right? So you, I mean, look, you're a smart guy. You got a master's degree for crying out loud. And, and obviously someone who works in journalism, you read, you follow the news. I mean, it's part of kind of what you do um, throughout, you know, your life. And knowing that you were going to Iraq and the Marines were based mostly Ramadi Fallujah out in the Al-Anbar province in the western part of Iraq, west of Baghdad. And you'd saw in 2005 and 2006 the raise in violence and hence why we had this surge, as you called it, for the, you know, obviously those who... Uh, we're part of it, know it, and anybody who knows the history of the war in Iraq knows the surge was a big part of it. President Bush, you know, did the whole thing. Did you have any apprehension about what you were walking into and realizing how dangerous it was? I mean, reflecting back on it, I, I, I mean, at the time, I didn't have. I was, um, I was dating somebody, but hadn't yet gotten married. Um, I was still single, you know, still relative, you know, relatively young, my mid twenties. Um, I didn't, I didn't have the same, um, the same reflective nature on this sort of thing that you have as you, as you get older and as you have a family and as you, um, as you mature, Uh, I was still, you know, still pretty, I mean, pretty young. And, um, I, I think that I was more, and you know anybody who serves, right? Even if you do have a, even if you are, you know are mature and have a family, there's still there's the whole you're deploying with your unit, the people that you've trained with. You're you're uh, you know there's that esprit that comes with 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 being in the Marine Corps or being you know if you're if you're a soldier uh, in the Army or whatever. Like there's there's this there's this esprit that's there that sort of drives you through and ensures that you're, that you're ready to do this mission and ready to, uh, ready to deploy. And at, at the time, I, I mean, you know, there, I guess I was cognizant of the danger, right. But it was, um, it was more like finally we're doing what we've, we're doing what we signed up to do. And again, it was, it was like, um, I, I do think the best word for it is fruition, you know, like it's right. finally, it's like the, the, you've, you've added all the ingredients and now the cake is ready to be baked. Right. And that's, that's the, that's the feeling that, that you had. And also, I mean, a feeling, my feeling was I'd, you know, I'd never been to the Middle East before. I didn't know. I mean, this was, this, this is sort of the definition of a foreign land for me. Uh, I, you know, not, all I knew about it was from from pre-deployment training and, and reading about it. I'd never never actually been there, so there was so much there was so much about this that I that I didn't know, and a lot of 
a lot of inexperience um, with with the world. As I mean, anybody who's a young a young officer or a young enlisted guy uh, or or woman, they you don't have that experience when you go over there. So all these uh, all these things, you know, lack of experience, lack of tangible knowledge, uh, wanting to see, you know, wanting to see what it's all about. Uh, going with the unit, having finished all the training, all these things just sort of propel you, propel you forward, um, to want to, to want to get there and to get there and do it right. To get mm-hmm. there and do the thing that you've signed up for. Um, and again, you know, like I said before, you go through this training pipeline and every time you, you, every time you graduate another school, you think I'm finally made it, you know, I finally can, can say I'm a, you know, I'm a Marine, but it's not until you go on that deployment really the, for me that, that you can, you can say, all right, I, I finally, you know, I, I finally am there. So there's, that is a large aspect of it as well. Well, and I asked that, and I've related this story a couple of times on the podcast, you know, in my time in Iraq, all throughout 2005 into 2006, you know, I might've driven six, 7,000 miles all over the country. And the one place whenever I was told to go that really gave me the heebie-jeebies before I ever got in the vehicle was either Fallujah or Ramadi. It just, it was, it was a bad place to be in 2005 and 2006. And I was in Iraq when, when the Marines were hung from the bridge and, you know, it was, it was a place you just didn't want any part of if you didn't have to, at least from my standpoint, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not somebody who's ashamed to admit the fear of, of that mission in and of itself. It's not like I didn't do it and said, no, sir, I'm not going to go. But, um, and, and when you get there, what was your mission? What were you told and kind of what were the, the expectations? Well, we, uh, my, my, uh, my company with, uh, um, golf company with second battalion, six Marines, we were on, uh, we were sent out to the South side of Fallujah and, uh, we we started out by just doing just foot patrolling through, uh, through the area. There was still, uh, there was still kinetic violence in, in Southern Fallujah at that time. And we just started with basic, basic foot patrolling and uh over time the 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 battalion the regiment and uh the you know broader the broader uh strategy for for the area expanded to the into into this surge awakening program and then we uh, the company eventually pushed out platoons to to take up positions in town and set up joint security stations. So to set up these, uh, set up these small outposts all throughout the city in order to really, uh, deny any movement for the enemy and to, uh, and to, to have a, have a closer connection with the populace. And that's, uh, uh, it was called operation Alja, uh, in, in Fallujah. And, that operation was how that was how the deployment ended. So we started out by doing standard standard foot patrolling out of a out of a company a company base, and then by the end of it, we were living. Uh, my platoon was living in town at a at a house that had been converted to this joint security station. So that's how that's how the mission sort of changed over the over the months we were there. You know, someone who didn't have any military training and knew very little about the Middle East, um, were you surprised at the level of violence that you walked into? into Fallujah? Um, we, I, I can't say that, I mean, 
I mean, should I rephrase I it? That. Should I rephrase it and say how much violence did you see while you were there? I, there was not what I would, me personally, and and what I saw, I would not consider a uh, a, a large level of violence. Um, there was there was kinetic activity. We had uh, you know um, a, did have a couple Marines who were who were wounded from uh, from my platoon, um, and we had you know had some some casualties in the in the battalion but there wasn't that sort of um 2004 alfajor sort of level of level of violence it was um it was it was far less far less than, than that so i i don't even i don't know how to really frame um frame talking about the level of violence but, uh, you know no, I mean, that's, there, yeah, but, that's, that's a yeah. fair perspective. I mean, you know, it, it's different in all different parts. I mean, Fallujah's, for all things considered, like every city has different parts to it, and some were more violent than others. So uh, I just wasn't sure how much you actually encountered. So that's why I kind of wanted to rephrase the question. But, you know, when you, yeah. when you have a casualty in your platoon or you lose a guy, what was that experience like for you? And, you know, did it change your perspective of what you were doing? The, I mean, the, the, Marine that we had, that was in my platoon and got, uh, uh, I think it was the first the first Marine from the platoon who was uh, who was wounded. Um, it was thankfully uh, he he recovered quickly. It was uh, it was um, a gunshot wound to the arm, and um, it just I think any time any time you have any time you have any kind of a of a casualty. Right, um, you rethink the way you do things, why you're doing things, um, your tactics, techniques, and procedures, um, how you're going about how you're going about th- the mission. Uh, so I think that you know, anytime that happens, you you think, why are we doing? Why are we doing this? Can we do it better? Um, was there was there any way to to avoid what happened? Is that an inevitability? Um, is is that yeah? You you go through, I guess, go through all of that thinking through that stuff. I mean, you would go out on foot patrols, uh, and you know, just go walking through the the, the town, the city, whatever it may be. Um, what was that experience like for you? Do, does anything stand out about it? I mean, any interactions either with military personnel, civilians in Iraq, or whatever it may be. Well, the, I, there are a couple. I mean, there's there's a number of things that that I remember. Um, but the, there was the, the first patrol, the first foot patrol we went out on, um, really stood out to me because we, you know, went we're on, we're on this foot patrol through town, and we stop at a uh, at a house and knock and go in, and there's a a family from Fallujah, you know, uh, there's an Iraqi family in this house. And I remember the, um, one of, one of the Marines sort of, um, did a, almost like a double take. And, um, cause you're, you're finally seeing the, I mean, the real life 
I mean, the real life people that you've had all this training that you're going, that you are going to be interacting with them. And here they are. And I remember, I remember myself like thinking, okay, wow, this is, this is, this is real. You know, this is like, the, this is putting all this, putting all the, the, the practice into, um, uh, all the, all the practice into, into an actual game here. And I remember, um, uh, saying to, to, to one of the Marines, like, yep, this is, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is an actual, you know, actual Iraqi. So let's let's do our job. You know, let's let's um, let's interact. Let's, let's do what we were trying to do, and started talking with them and and working through that that first house, that first set of 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 actual people on the ground in Fallujah, civilians that you know we need to foster relationships with with you know. Building, building trust with, and I remember that very first place, that very first house we went into, and that being sort of the 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 I mean, to, to use another metaphor, right? Like the clutch finally engages, and and you're off. And I, I remember, I remember that very very clearly. Um, the uh, another uh, another uh, moment that I remember uh, very clearly, and I think it's very, I think it's quite. Um, uh, I think it illustrates a number of things that that, that the military does, um, thinks it does well, but doesn't necessarily do well, and could do better. And really, um, it, it's the nuances of being uh, of of knowing how to take, have individual interactions with individual people. I mean, you know, anybody who's deployed and is uh, and in pre-deployment training or whatever, right? You're told that. When you, if you're offered something from from someone, you you take it because if you don't if you don't take it, then it's considered rude and you've insult you've insulted someone, right? And when we went to this, uh, there was this dairy farmer, um, a gentleman who had who had some uh, who had cows here in Fallujah. We went to his home and we were in his uh, in his living room, and uh, he brings out a um, brings out a glass of, of fresh milk for me. And I had just, I, had, I think I had just been sick and just gotten over, um, you know, having, uh, having stomach issues from, from, from being in country. And he offers me this glass of milk and I think, okay, um, if I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to turn this down because it'll insult him. But I was like, if I, you know, I know if I drink this milk right now, I'm not going to be able to like, I, I won't be able to stomach it. Right. So I said, well, might as well, if I'm just honest with the guy, it'll work out. So I said, <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. You know, I said, sorry. I have an interpreter with us. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I can't, I can't drink this milk. And I pointed to my, to my gut. I said, I got an American stomach. And he started laughing and said, okay, I'll bring you a Coke instead. I said, all right, great. And it was so, sort of, it was one of those moments where, you know, you kind of, as long as, I don't know, if, if you just, if you just tap into some sort of an underlying, an underlying humanity or, um, or attempt to, to have a personal relationship, that's, that's more important than, than going through, that, that was more important than going through the, the actual, you know, XYZs of, of what the, the handbook says you're supposed to do. And I remember that, remember that very clearly. And we had, uh, you know, had, had a, had a uh, 
had a good conversation after that, but, uh, there was, yeah, there was, I told him there was no way I could drink that milk. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I, I have a similar story. We were right in the middle of downtown Baghdad recruiting and forget where we were, forget exactly where we were, just right in the heart of the city. And I, I worked with Iraqis every single day. I mean, I was doing foreign internal defense. So, you know, I was side by side training with Iraqis and, uh, one of my Iraqi soldiers walked around the corner to this little dilapidated hut and there was smoke billowing out from the top of it. And he comes out with like, it's like shawarma, you know, meat inside of pita, uh, a piece of pita bread. And, and he brings it over to me and he wants me to eat it. I'm like, and I asked him, where'd you get this? And he pointed around. And I walked over there. I saw it. And, and Ben, if you saw this shack, you're like, there's nothing you should ever eat that comes out of this shack. I mean, the brick and mortar were barely standing together. Um, this little old man was inside there cooking on what I don't know. But I was in the same like kind of conundrum, you know, where he hands me this thing. I'm like, if I tell this guy no right now, I'm going to ruin whatever relationship I have with him. And meanwhile, I'm thinking whatever mystery meat I'm about to put in my mouth could feasibly kill me at some point in time. So, you know, you get in that spot. But that, those are the bonds, I think, that you talk about. And when you when you reflect back on kind of that relationship, when you can remove the the I'm an American, you're an Iraqi, uh, I am here as essentially a combatant and you are a civilian and you know, we're supposed to have some sort of animosity, but when you break down all those barriers and those walls and you start to be able to communicate in a one-on-one -on -one basis, some of it becomes a lot, you know, more real. And, and I think there is an empathy there on both sides that, that is underscored throughout at least the Iraq war, because there was a lot of that working side by side. Yeah. And I mean, uh, on, on some level as well, the, the, what, by the time I, by the time I was getting to the end of the end of that deployment, and you know now that uh, you know now that I travel in the region uh, as a reporter uh, and, and and talking to people out of out of uniform, um, I realized that you know <laughs> there's the the odds of the odds of having a the odds of having a a genuine a genuine interaction with someone is, where it was about zero when you're in uniform, you know, because it's all being mediated through, um, through the, through you and your, you know, you're carrying an, an M4 or whatever, right? Like you're, um, you're, you're never going to be able to, it, it's very difficult to have sort of, uh, any kind of a one, a true one-on-one, -on -one, a true even conversation or interaction with anyone, because you're in uniform. You're there with uh, up arm and Humvees, or you're there with a platoon full of, of guys with with M16s, right? And um, by the time by the time we were getting to the end of the deployment, I, I was uh, I was really recognizing that 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 fact and trying. And however I could, however possible, to to either acknowledge that when I was talking to people, to uh, whether it's Iraqi army, police, civilians, whomever, and try to try to do what was possible to to I guess in, in somehow break down that artifice. I mean, it was you know it's impossible, but there's you could do what you can to to try to. And over you know over time you you have to learn that that you can't ignore that fact. There's no way to there's no way to have that that conversation on um, on any kind of an equal footing because of the nature of being deployed to someone's country in uniform with your weapons. But there you know I 
tried to um, acknowledge that um, and 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 move through that to have to have as to have as much of an uh, an unmediated conversation and interaction with people as possible. But I mean, you know, I don't know what your experience is, but but mine is that was it's it's never never ever possible to to, to fully break down those barriers and um, and I'm sure that even even my you know me thinking that I that I recognize the the existence of those barriers and the the extent to them I probably still am miles away from from knowing knowing what those true barriers what those true barriers are no certainly I mean I would tend to agree with your 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 thought process on the whole I mean obviously exceptions but you know gen- generally that is correct um, you mentioned that you had gone back and you'd gone back in your civilian job I, I, I know that's ahead I want to get to that because I think those juxtapositions are are very interesting, but you leave after this deployment. How does the rest of your military career go? Do you end up going back, and why do you decide to get out? Well, um, after the after the Iraq deployment, um, I I got a de- I was deployed to uh, deployed to Afghanistan. I was attached to uh, to ISAF uh, ISAF NATO mm-hmm. training team, and was then was in Afghanistan. Went around. Um, Went around southern uh, southern Afghanistan uh, a bit, and then uh, when I finished with that, I did Marine Corps security Marine Corps security guard uh, inspecting officer work. So I was based in the Middle East at that time, and working out of uh, uh, working out of the uh, working out of the embassies and conflicts, and sort of seeing the seeing the the, the more the suit and tie side of of some of the Marine Corps and then finished up with that after, uh, after some time. And, and then when I finished down my time in 29 Palms in California, doing training officer, uh, training officer work to, uh, prepare, prepare guys who were going over on uh, engagement teams to Afghanistan. So, uh, I kind of rounded up the picture that way. I, uh, I ended up, I ended up getting out for, for a number of reasons. Um, but, uh, one of you know one of the one of the reasons that or one of the things that helped help smooth the transition was uh, I made sure to, um, to to line up my uh, my VA benefits so I could use the GI Bill to go back to school again. And uh, after after having done Marine Corps security work and working in working in embassies and conflicts, um, seeing the way the way that the way that folks in the embassy and the way people throughout the, throughout the region, whether they're Americans or, um, uh, English, English speaking, uh, you know, Canadians, uh, Australians, uh, Brits, uh, or people from, from the region itself, the way that they understood uh, world events and understood, uh, and things they read and watched for, uh, to get their news, uh, seeing that whole process, uh, maybe, maybe very, um, maybe very interested in it. And knowing, I thought that this is something I could contribute to. I've got some, I've got some tangible experience in, in, in the area. Uh, I've got tangible experience in the region. I think that a lot of the things that I saw and, uh, saw and did in, in, in the area could inform telling 
telling stories humanely and telling uh, telling stories that that try to cut through that cut through that uh, cut through that mediation again as much as possible and give um, recognize recognize the barriers that that exist and try to address them uh, and and tell tell stories and tell to report the news and I thought that, that would be uh, a fascinating a fascinating career so I uh, went to graduate school on the GI Bill and uh, while at graduate school uh, I used Marine Corps uh, Marine Corps connections insofar as I went to uh, uh, there was a sort of a job um, you know at graduate school you have the uh, different different employers come and, and interview people, and I just happened to talk to uh, someone who, from the Wall Street Journal, uh, has had a connection with the Marine Corps. So um, I clicked with that person, and before you know it, I'm, I have an internship at the Wall Street Journal, and then got hired on full time as, as a staff as a staff reporter. Wow, pretty incredible! Um, you know, the Veterans Network strong, so. Glad that worked out for you that way. Um, as you start your career as a writer uh, and a journalist, um, is, is there something pulling you back to that experience that you wanted to go back? Did you know you wanted to go back when you first started, or was that just something that happenstance, you know, came across your path? It was something that I would. It's not something that I said. You know, I really want to. I really want to go back. And I really want to go back to Iraq. That wasn't like a, that wasn't a 100% must do career goal. But I thought, you know, the the conflict is still going on there. I would like to, at some point, um, go back and, and, and cover what's happened in that, in the country since I've, uh, since I've deployed there and what is, what, what, the current status of, of Iraq is how it fits into the region, and to sort of see what the wages of of all that time and American influence and for good or for bad on that country where things where things stood. Um, but it really wasn't until ISIS swept into uh, swept into Mosul that that opportunity. You know, really presented itself, and we, um, you know, at, at that point, the journal was um, said, "Hey, you know, would you mind? Uh, can you go and cover this?" I and I was more than happy to. I put my hand up and said, "I'd like to go. I'd like to go cover the cover this conflict." And uh, slowly but surely, I started going over and over again to uh, to the region and uh, for, for the duration of the conflict with Islamic State in, in Iraq, I was fr- fairly regularly going over and, and doing that doing that coverage. And it was um, extraordinarily rewarding to to go back and cover military military issues from the ground uh, and to go back to some of the places that I had been deployed a decade before. It's interesting. Uh, you know, my first deployment ended in 2006, and I remember, you know, I kept a journal, and I remember remarking in that journal saying, you know, I actually hope to come back in five to ten years um, and, and, and 
see what this place is like and maybe even vacation here because I had seen so much of the country, you know, and I felt like that, you know, it, it, if things, you know, worked out the way we all had thought they would by the end of 2006, that, you know, the conflict would end sooner rather than later and you, you'd have a stable relationship and so on and so forth. And I did get to go back five years later, except I deployed there again a second time to Iraq for the closeout. And I remember when I got back there, one of the first things I wanted to do was just take a drive around to all the places that I used to go, you know, within, within limits, obviously, because it was still a dangerous place. And uh, I remember looking at a 2011 Iraq versus a 2006 Iraq and going, nothing's changed except everything's worse, if that makes any sense. Like, it, it, nothing had gotten better. Everything that was old and torn and worn down just got more old, more torn, more worn down. And I felt like when I got back there the second time, not that everything we did the first time was for naught, but almost like we should have all seen this end coming. Did you feel the same way when you got back there that whatever changes were there, it was like, well, you know, this was expected or this was unexpected? Um, I actually, I, you know, I didn't feel, I didn't feel that. I, I didn't feel that at all. I felt, well, first of all, I, I, going, going back, uh, going back as a journalist, I just, you just see, you see the, I mean, when you're there deployed, you see the sort of the obverse of the coin, right? And when you go as a civilian, you see the reverse of it, right? It's mm -hmm. all, there's, it, it opens up a whole new, a whole new, uh, a whole new perspective, a whole new way to look at things. I mean, when, you know, when you're deployed, even no matter, no matter how much you see when you're deployed, you're seeing, you're still like looking through that soda straw, right? Like you're, you're, you're never seeing, uh, you're never seeing a whole broad picture. And you're also always seeing it mediated through, you know, uh, like I said, you're seeing it mediated through, the through wearing a uniform and being a member of the military in in someone else's country when you go back as a as a civilian you know you see you see different things you interact with people differently you get um you get a different perspective a broader perspective you get to see see and uh, and understand the country in a different way uh and you also i think see and understand um, the, the, the problems and, uh, and the, the, the wonderful, the wonderful, um, and lovely things about, about the country in a different way. So when I went back, I mean, I was going back to Iraq, um, in, uh, when, when Islamic state had, had, was, was threatening to, you know, threatening to take, threatening to take more, I mean, they had just taken, just taken Mosul, you know, they just taken uh, this 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 huge this huge city, and they were threatening the to to, to move into to move into into Erbil even, and it was I mean it was a dark time for for the country to go back, and yet when I you know when I was when I got there and went back again and again, even during you know even during those times and that conflict with. With Islamic State was uh, was was at its was at its you know greatest in in Iraq. I still was I still marveled at the the way that 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 the that the Iraqi society uh, was 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 rebounding and and there was I guess there was not not for me uh, any feeling like. Oh geez, like what a you know what a 
what a waste of American, you know, American blood and treasure. Um, I thought this is just, you know, what's happening there is just uh, a natural evolution. There's not like there was some sort of, there's not some sort of map that's laid out for, 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 for the country. And if it's, you know, if it's not, uh, if it's not followed to the T, then, then there's, uh, then it's been a disaster. It's sort of like, I mean, you, you go into a country and you can't exactly, you can't exactly dictate what's, what's going to happen in the end. You're, you're opening up <laughs> to, to use a, a extraordinarily trite, you know, metaphor, you open up a can of worms and there's no way to know ultimately what, what, what things are going to happen. So for me to see the direction that the country, the direction that Iraq has, has gone, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't feel, I can't feel bad about it. I can't feel good about it. I just, it just is the direction that the country is going. And I want to, to better understand that and to better be able to convey the realities of why, why the direction, why, why, why is it taking the, uh, why is it going in the direction it's going and what, you know, what the current state of affairs there. Um, I think that, you know, maybe that's in part because I'm approaching it as a, uh, as a reporter now. So I'm, you know, necessarily looking at it through, uh, through sort of a news, a news perspective saying here's, here's what, here's what exists and here's, uh, you know, what's led up to that and why it's, why it's sort of moved in that direction. And in some ways withholding, you know, withholding, value value judgments right mm-hmm. you got a chance to go back to fallujah to where you were stationed during your deployment as a reporter what stands out about that and what are your impressions and memories of it well that was uh that was my that was the the last the last trip i've had to um to iraq was going back there to i went to went to fallujah to see if see if I could find and, you know, easily recognize the, the neighborhood uh, that we were deployed to and, and where we were. And, um, I mean, Fallujah is, I mean, going back there and stopping at a shawarma shop, uh, you know, on one of the main roads that we drove in on, on up armored, you know, up armored seven times when we, when we came to town and, um, going there now in a, in a civilian SUV and stopping for, for shawarma and a, and a Pepsi, uh, was, in, I mean, in some ways, in some ways it was surreal, you know, and then going down to the, to the Southern end of town where the company was, the company, um, the company base was, you know, Hesco, Hesco barriers, uh, and, uh, you know, the, who the hooch is built there and everything. And, coming up and finding that spot where this, where the company base was and not being sure whether or not (laughs) knowing that it was, I was in the right spot and looking at it, but not being able to really tell if that was it because it was completely, it was, it was, everything was gone except for the remnants of some HESCO barriers and uh, some piles of, of, of ISIS uh, pressure plate IEDs that were stacked up on a corner. Um, and seeing, 
you know, that, that was, that was very stark to see a place that, you know, you, you helped build and fortify and was brand spanking new or pretty new when you got there to be completely gone. And, uh, and now just a scar on the landscape and forgotten. Um, and, and wondering well, what, you know, what did being there with this, when this base was here and what's come after it, like what was, um, you know, how much, how much, how much good, how much bad ultimately was done from, from this deployment. That was, that to me was, um, was, was, was very striking seeing that, seeing that spot and then going back and seeing the house where my platoon lived, uh, in its, in its joint, joint security station, seeing that and, um, and going back to the 10 years after, you know, going back to walk on the same, you know, walk in the same places that we were patrolling, um, a decade before and to go back in civilian clothes and do that not having to wear full body armor and helmet and carrying them for was, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it's an experience that I think a lot of, a lot of service members would, would, um, would want and would cherish to be able to, to go back and see, see that, see that place. Um, and to not have the immediate threat of, uh, of, of violence, uh, no, I mean, I agree. I, I would love to go back. I mean, there, there are certain places where things yeah. happen to me. I would love to go back and stand in that spot again. I mean, just to, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's cathartic or what, but just to go back and stand in that spot again and look around and then think back to how that, how in the world did you ever get the hell out of there in one piece? Um, and, and I don't know. To me, it, it, yes, I agree 100%. It definitely is an experience that if I was ever offered, I would love to do. Um, and, you know, I, I hope one day to do it at some point in time in the somewhat near future, but and I think, you know, I think you're right on the, I think you're right about the, like the, the calling, you know, having, having it being a cathartic, uh, sort of a cathartic experience. Right. And it's not, it's not like <laughs> no matter, no matter, no matter what has happened to the place, but to be able to just go back. Right. Um, and to, to be in that same spot that you've been deployed before, no, you know, no matter how much you've changed, no matter how much of the place, Places changed, or just to go back and see what it's like ten years later. There is some sort of a, there is some sort of a, uh, a, a closure there, even if it's not like. I mean, Iraq is Fallujah is still, um, you know, it's it's who knows what's going to happen uh, in in parts of Anbar in the future. Who knows what's going to happen uh, in in Iraq and and. But at the at that very time, you know, to go back and be there, yeah, there is sort of a, a catharsis, and I do think that you know, like like you said, everybody would want to do that, right? You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's an experience. I think that you know, every vet, war veteran would cherish just because it uh, it takes you back to what you had to survive to get through, and 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 makes you feel fortunate about where you are in life now. Let me uh, ask you real quickly, as far as your work covering veterans' uh, situations and veterans' issues, um, because this is obviously a hot button here uh, for all veterans, but you know, what stands out to you or what's the biggest thing in covering veterans' issues that you come across, whether it's politically, uh, you know, as far as 
may it be the VA or anything along those lines, or is it other stuff that's more personal that you get to cover with veterans and telling their stories? Well, the I mean, the one thing that I think is ex- is extraordinarily important when covering, uh, I mean, covering veterans' issues is understanding the is knowing the, the complexity of the veterans of the veterans system in America, right? Because it's not just the VA, right? The VA is the federal the federal entity, and it's the second largest department in the federal government. It's massive, massive budget, massive numbers of employees. Massive healthcare system, largest, you know, largest, uh, they dealt with the largest um, integrated healthcare system in the United States. But then with that, you also have all the state departments of veterans affairs. And then you have all these, all these charities, all these veteran service organizations. You have uh, Congress dealing with, with veterans issues. Uh, within the VA, you have multiple departments for for you know uh, cemetery uh, administration, the healthcare side, the pension side, the benefits side. There's just so many moving parts, and trying to trying to really have a have a get a handle on that and ensure that when you know covering veterans' issues, whether it's budgets or um, people, people trying to get benefits, people trying to get healthcare, how the healthcare system works, how it fits into it. Just trying to understand and and convey through through reporting and through um, uh, through talking with veterans the, the the immense the immensity and the complexity of the whole thing. Uh, and there there's um, times when it, it really. Uh, uh, having having served really serves me well in this position because I can talk to you know talk to fellow veterans about things. I can sort of understand. When I talk to the to the Department of Defense what how certain you know certain parts certain parts certain terminology how things move. Um, I think that that brings that brings a lot to the to the to the beat um, is is having that knowledge of of having having served myself any regrets about your service anything you look at look back on that you wish you'd done differently uh or anything that you you didn't get a chance to do that you kind of look back on and say wish i had a chance to do that well uh i mean i don't i don't think i don't think you'll ever meet a veteran um of any uh of any stripe well Maybe you will, but there, I think it's very rare to meet somebody who's gotten out that doesn't that doesn't miss it on some level, right? That mm-hmm. doesn't say, "Oh man, I you know I wish I would have stayed in a little bit longer," or um, I, you know I, I should have done this. I should have I should have gone to to jump school. Or I should have gone to ranger school or whatever. Like there's there's always I mean there's there's many things that that you wish you would have done or you wish that you still would be doing in the military, but at the same time. Um, you know, there's a, anybody who's gotten out and is honest, right? Like, well, I think at least a little bit of them have to say they they miss it and they wish they would have done something differently, whatever, whatever it is. They wish they would have done more. They wish they would have, you know, signed up, signed up three months before and then gone through the pipeline three months earlier. And then they would have been in the unit that deployed to X rather than the unit that deployed to Y, right? Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I think that I think there's so many what ifs in the military. You know, there's like 
um, a, a military career, like you, you, you drive it, you steer it, and you take it in the direction. You, you try to take it in the direction that 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 you can. But there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of chance, luck, and being in the right spot that comes with it. You know, I mean, and in the Marine Corps, you go as an officer, you go in, and you really don't. You have there's no guarantee what job you're going to get. You know, you could. You could get assigned to artillery to be an adjutant to go into the infantry, and there's, I mean, you, you know, you work towards whatever military occupational specialty that you want, but there's nothing guaranteeing that. So there's a little bit of luck involved in anything. So, I mean, for me, I can't. I mean, other than just saying, man, there's, you know, I wish I would, I, I maybe I should have stayed in, maybe I should have done more, maybe I should have done one more, you know, signed up for another few years. Um, there's nothing that I really, that I really truly regret. And that's, I'm, I'm very happy about that. And, but there is, you know, getting out, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I got out because I was ready to get out. And I, I left the Marine Corps because, uh, you know, frankly, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do B billets and, 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 and all all the all the staff stuff that comes with that that comes with a career in the Marine Corps. I didn't want to do that, and um, I got out and was was content with my was content with my decision, and then took advantage of of all the experience and knowledge that I had, and also the benefits that that all of us um, you know all of us veterans have, and use GI Bill to move forward with that. So. Um, yeah, I have, have nothing that I have nothing that I really wanted to do and didn't get to do. <laughs> that's the, short, that's the, uh, the, the, the short answer that you were looking for. Well, Ben, listen, it's an incredibly unique story. I mean, you know, not again, not a lot of us get a chance to, to go back as a civilian, even if it's in a, you know, working capacity, uh, to visit a place that they had to wear a uniform and fight in combat and, and try to, you know, win hearts and minds. And so from that standpoint, it certainly has been a pleasure talking to you. And I really think you brought some unique perspective uh, to a lot of our listeners here on the Hazard Ground. Of course, again, you write for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, let everybody know where they can, you know, get your, your your stuff, how they can follow you on social media, see whatever articles and columns you have coming out, give, give everybody the information. All right, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the the best way to, you know, best way to follow is just... Uh, the uh, Wall Street Journal, the print and online version, right? And then uh, on Twitter, I'm at uh, my handle is B Kessling, B K E S L I N G, and uh, that's the, you know that's where I do most of my stuff is on uh, is on Twitter. So you know, feel free to follow. Uh, listen, keep up the great work. Uh, I've enjoyed your reading since uh, you know we booked you here on the Hazard Ground a couple of weeks ago, and knew you were coming on. And uh, you know, I, I think your work is fantastic. And as long as you're continuing to advocate for veterans and, and their side and their stories and their needs. I think you always have a, a, a backing from the veterans community and it's certainly a great voice to have. So with that, Ben Kessling, thanks for being part of the Hazard Ground. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground podcast hosted by Mark Zeno and produced by Matt Pascarella. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at hazardgroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.